0: Well, hey there, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Business and Life Conversations Podcast. I am your host, Ange, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I'm a business consultant and coach who has helped hundreds of amazing women business owners get all the pieces in place to have consistent five-figure months and then on to six-figure years without burning out in the process. Now, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, and even if not, you're about to find out, I love all the guests that come on my show. They each bring something magical. They are inspiring. They are smart. They are fun. They are funny. The list goes on and on. But every once in a while, I meet someone who makes me really, really, really take notice, makes me really pay attention, captures my entire attention, which isn't easy when you have full-blown ADHD. And this is how I felt when I heard, first heard Allie Watson speak at a conference I was at last year in Sydney. Atlee is the amazing founder of Code Like a Girl and is all about empowering women and girls to be equal creators in building the future. She has created a remarkable social enterprise that is making such a positive ripple effect across Australia and the world collectively. You see, at Code Like a Girl... This is what Ali believes that her team believes every girl and woman should have access to accessible coding education, in closing the gap on education, social and financial dis- disadvantage, in asking questions, ignoring assumptions and smashing gender-based stereotypes, in making decisions that have girls' best interests in mind in giving girls and women an edge. So if you haven't picked up with my level of enthusiasm in my voice, I am super, super pumped to have Allie on the show today. We're going to be talking about where this idea of Code Like a Girl came from, the role that social enterprises play in making this successful, exploring how she stays viable through being a social enterprise, and so, so, so much more. If you're wanting to know who who and how you can make a bigger impact with your business in the world, and you want to learn from an amazing human who is doing this and making ripple effects all across the world... I encourage you to sit back, get comfy, and get ready for an amazing episode. But before we hop straight into this amazing episode, I'd like to remind you that if you enjoy this episode, I would love for for you to share a key takeaway, a snippet of you, whatever it is that you want to do, a fun fact over, over on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Angela Henderson Consulting because it would put a smile on my dial. Also, this episode is sponsored by my 12 month group coaching program, Profit Pillars, which helps women in business create consistent 5K plus months. My 12 month group coaching program is for women business owners who are ready to take action, who are ready to grow a profitable business. My amazing 12-month group coaching program um, includes a complete Profit Pillar training systems with videos, PDFs, guides, and more, monthly live strategy sessions, monthly hot seat calls, monthly masterminds with guest experts, 24-7 access to our amazing private Facebook community, world-class member support, special bonuses and secret surprises, and so much more. To learn more about my 12-month group coaching program, Profit Pillars, you can simply head to AngelaHenderson.com.au and click on the I Want to Create 5K Months under the subheading How Can I Help You? Now, let's get ready for this amazing show with Allie. Welcome to the show, Allie. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me. Gosh, no, thank you for being here. I know you are a woman in demand, Ally. so I appreciate you taking <laughs> your time as you are helping empower women and girls around here in Australia and collectively around the world. So thank you so much for being on the show today. You're very welcome, Angela. Thanks for having me. No, we only met late last year at a speaking event in Sydney and I remember being in the back of the room and I was like and all of a sudden like I said in my initial introduction to this particular episode I was like okay wow she's got me interested who is this lady what is she talking about I need to know more and so I was super what I loved about you is just again your focus on making sure that we are empowering women and girls to be equal creators and building the future and that's why I really wanted to have a deeper chat to you about that today but before we get into that amazing chat about empowering women and girls I always like to ask a fun question to uh, to the guest that comes on, just so that the audience gets to know you a little bit better. And so my fun question to you is, obviously you are Scottish, all right, and that beautiful (laughs) accent of yours. So what is your favourite place back home in Scotland?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Um, I moved up to a a really beautiful green kind of um, mountain-esque suburb in Melbourne recently and, and it's been bringing back a lot of memories for me. Um, my parents uh, were separated when I was younger. My my dad, um, he actually lived in the country. He lived in this little town called Dimblane in Scotland and I had some of my best childhood memories in this little country town where um, he lived just right next to these forests and it was building tree houses, going exploring, um, doing bird watching and going really long walks in, in the Scottish uh, countryside and I'd probably say for me that's that's probably that brings a lot of happy memories and, and even just walking about the Australian bush in the, the Victorian countryside um, I think it has this strange little memory piece of piece of memory that sort of um, comes out on me that that you know, helps me reminisce about my my childhood and some of those happy memories. So I'd probably say, yeah, Countryside of Dunblane is is probably some of my favourite places to go walking.
0: Well, that sounds pretty magical, right? You kind of took us back to like a story <laughs> script there, Allie, which is always great. And there is something to be said about childhood memories. And I also mm-hmm. think about connecting with nature naturally. I think oh, yeah. a lot of our society, especially in first world countries, where there is a lack of or there's a disconnect, I should say, with getting out with nature and the benefits of nature just being in sunshine for 10 or 15 minutes, smelling the fresh mm-hmm. air and putting technology down is, I think, so powerful. But yet so many people aren't making the choice to do that. So So, um, I I think that's a whole nother probably conversation I could have on another (laughs) podcast episode, but I do think, I know like my son and, uh, my son and daughter, we were walking around here in this particular, we live in the gap in Queensland, Australia, and it's a, it's all the way out. It's kind of like the last suburb, before you start heading inland. And -hmm. so we've got all the beautiful green trees and everything like that. And the kids, we all, we typically go for a bike ride or a walk three to four times a week, but my kids have said, and they've started to notice, mom, why are we the only ones out here? Mm. where are the kids and I say well you know everyone has you know everyone has different lives but he's like and I was thinking though about when he said that is yes people kind of use the excuse I believe is my kids could get do you know what I mean kidnapped okay well mm-hmm. that is a possibility but the likelihood of that happening is quite minimal so then I think totally. okay well maybe in their they're in their backyards but then Finley's like but mom I don't hear their kids playing in their backyards mm-hmm. and I was like fair enough call, right? So I was like, where are the kids is what I'm saying. So there is there, I do believe there's a disconnect. So it is lovely to hear about those beautiful memories you had back home in Scotland and how that equally, I'm assuming, you know, you get back into the Melbourne, you know, your new suburb and are able to, you know, you know, experience that newness for you there also. Absolutely. So now, Code Like a Girl, let's be honest. It's amazing. Every <laughs> element of it is amazing. And I know a lot of the <laughs> listeners might not even know what the hell I'm talking about yet, Allie, but absolutely they're in for a treat today. So can mm-hmm. we just start off by a little bit about giving a background about what is code like a girl? And how did you, you know, come up with that name? Where did it all begin?
1: Oh yeah, right. Let's get stuck in. <laughs> so let's start with the name, Code Like a Ghetto. It's always a really good conversation starter and um, it's really, really leaning into that kind of old back, like claiming back this insult, you know, like a girl, you fight like a girl, you, you punch like a girl, like you run like a girl. Um, there's an incredible campaign, and it's, it's probably about 10 years old now. Um, and I remember being in my, my really early 20s. It came on the TV. It was always, it always is a, a, a female kind of sanitary towel, um brand. Uh, I think it's in the US as well as the UK. Um, and so they had this incredibly powerful advert that came on, and it was interviewing young kids and older kids and adults, and it asked each of them to to fight like a girl, to run like a girl, to throw like a girl. And the boy in, in, the, in, the, in the advert was doing it really feebly, um, you know, throwing his hands, like, you know, bending his wrists, and it was all a little bit um, fluffy. They asked a really young girl to do it, and she did it as hard as she could, as strong as she could. And it was really about when did doing something like a girl become an insult. And so it was a very powerful campaign about claiming that back and saying, yeah, I run like a girl. I wish you wish you could too, you know. And so this was really impactful for me when I first saw it. And I remember at the time on my Twitter bio, um, so I was a software developer at the time when I saw this ad. Um, I just completed my computer science degree. Um, I was working in a very male-dominated industry and often, you know, came across people who were always very surprised you know that I was a a developer and in particular a back-end developer it was a very male-dominated role and not many girls ended up in that that space and and you know particularly myself I have a lot of feminine energy which I'm really proud of so I was always kind of like a little bit different and people would remark on that many times or they'd almost get mistaken you know or or like you know, think I'm the receptionist, or think I'm the project manager, or, or you know. So there was many times I was always kind of trying to prove myself in front of people, prove my competency. And um, so that was something that I definitely, when I saw this ad, I was like, I wish that people had bigger expectations of me when they met me. I wish that they, um, you know, didn't just see me and my gender. And um, you know, so I I loved that campaign. It really resonated with me. I remember tears like running down my face the first time I saw it because. I knew what women were capable of, and it really bothered me that you know we still had stigma and and biases around our our, our capabilities. And so, changed my Twitter bio to "Ali Watson codes like a girl." And you know, as time went on, I, I spent a really large time um, in my career as a software developer. So, fast forward, you know, probably about six years from then, um, I'd been a developer for um, seven years working. And web development and mobile development. Um, I had a, a, a dabbled a little bit in software houses, but I really liked the creativity of um, creative agencies and digital digital agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I moved countries, I moved companies, I moved roles, um, but something remained the same. I was always, you're, you know, you're going to be your first female hire, Ali. Or, you know, are you okay and comfortable being the only girl on the team? And sometimes I was even the only girl in an entire office. Um, And that was always really confronting because, one, starting a new job anywhere is, is really nerve wracking. But the carried weight of knowing that you're going to really change up the dynamics, you know, culturally, you're really going to, you know, ruffle some feathers because they've yes. never, they've never worked with a woman before. Like, imagine the the, the level of like fear about women going into this environment. Um, and I think anybody who's a minority or or feels differently uh, in a culture would would recognize that kind of um apprehension apprehension. Um, and so I was starting to get a little bit tired of of this story. I was starting to get. little bit peeved that why was there not more women and it bothered me for several reasons one was that I fell in love with computer science and software development it was probably a career that I felt was so perfectly matched for my skill set and my personality and um, the the kind of things I enjoyed doing and making and crafting was very complementary to the skills required for software engineering and that bothered me because I almost didn't get into computer science because actually I, I was, I was thought I was destined for art school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right. Totally other, people think they are other ends of the spectrum, but I disagree. Um, I actually think.
0: to they complement each other to some degree.
1: Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's a marriage better suited
0: than creativity and technology.
1: And um, mm-hmm. I think those two things come together so beautifully. Um, and I didn't, Realise that until I really started my journey and, and I kept thinking imagine I hadn't been rejected from art school, imagine I ended up going down that route and never finding this wonderful career that I just I thrived and enjoyed and loved and I thought there's so much opportunity here, there's so much um you know the salaries are lucrative, the jobs are in abundance, it is like the only industry that was was really booming and, and, and even in the UK even in Scotland who, you know, had suffered a a financial crisis, who, you know, towns were shutting down, like shops were shutting down, left, right and centre, but but technology was booming. And so I kept thinking, this is pretty unfair that there's not more women taking these opportunities. And and why is that? And so I started to explore and and I gave a talk at a school and I started a blog and I thought, what am I going to call this? What is this I'm doing? Because at the early stage, I was pretty happy being a full-time developer and this was just a wee site project so it just instantly clicked you know I checked the domain code like eu was available um so I started with that and and it was originally a website and then I came up to my boss at the time and I said hey Kath and um, so I was working in a, a really cute little boutique um creative agency in in Cremone in Richmond in, in Victoria in mm-hmm. Melbourne um and I said hey Kath I want to get some women together. I want to have a glass of wine and meet other women who program <laughs> because I am alone all the time and all the all the guys are always hanging out getting pints. I need some friends like I need to meet other women who do what I do. It's it's a really big part of, of the enjoyment that I will get from this career and she was all on board. She was like absolutely invite them round. and so what was supposed to be you know, an intimate evening with a glass of wine ended up being an 100-person event. <laughs>
0: wow! How amazing is that? Obviously, the demand was there. The demand was there, and I
1: think at the time. So this was um, five years ago, Angela. So it was it was quite a li- quite a while ago, and and at the time there wasn't a huge amount of community around this. Like I think nowadays, if you if you go online, you'll find a lot of women in tech, girls in tech. Um, meetups and events so it's it's definitely you know became a real thing here in Melbourne in particular um, but at the time there wasn't much movement there wasn't much going on so I think we just hit the mark at the right time right place and um, and it was such a, a huge overwhelming response ever since that first event I knew that I just fell in love I fell in love with these women I fell in love with their challenges like I wanted to be a part of the solution um, meeting them, the, the passion, the energy that I got just from just from being amongst uh, my tribe, you know, and that's how I felt at the time. Like I had finally met my tribe, and for the first time in my career, I felt a sense of belonging. I felt that this is also a women's domain, and here we are in hundreds. <laughs> um, and it was just such a an incredible moment. And from that, that was really um, the inception of Cold like you Girl
0: so so awesome and I like how you said that you wanted to be part of the solution Mm -hmm. because there's so many people complain 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 you know fix mindset makes me want to like start chugging wine you know I mean I'm like oh my god focus people you know (laughs) so the fact that you're like hold on a minute this sucks but we're gonna we're gonna change this shit up people we are gonna come up with a solution (laughs) and you did I mean to get a hundred people at an event I mean how I mean they too probably felt lost to some degree not knowing Mm -hmm. what to do like and the fact that you guys all came together is so powerful and then so obviously you you're at this event you're having a conversation with obviously 100 women all right juicy rich conversation you got a good glass of wine in your hand how did you (laughs) then go from that to going okay let's build a social enterprise like how did it go from there to there so we started to gain traction. We started getting
1: media attention. Radio um, stations were phoning us up, wanting to talk to us, wanting to film us. So people came to, came to the place I worked, and they wanted to know more about what we were planning. And and also something really early on, when I decided to do this. Now I don't go, I don't, tr- I don't really try things. I go in full throttle. And so I remember at the time saying that this is not going to be a one-off event, because I knew that. People had attempted maybe different things. It was all staggered. There was no regularity. There was no community being built. There was no networks, like really strong networks being built. So I promised at that very early stage that no matter what happened, this was going to be a thing that happens again. So I committed at that point to do events every sort of two to three months, which we did. So we were doing that for about six months. Um, So we'd had about maybe three big events. And each one were just, you know, packed out, sold out, venues um and partners and, and sponsors were coming on board because they wanted in this action. They wanted to meet these women. They wanted to put their stake in the ground and say we support this. So um, it was starting to build a lot of momentum um, and we were we were starting to actually get funding partners on board. I was approached so this was December mm, 2015 or 16. I actually totally don't even know what year it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got approached by PwC and the Foundation for Young Australians. And they called me up and said, hey, Ali, you know, we've heard about Codely Girl and we think it's awesome. And we're running this accelerator program for STEM initiatives. Now, as a developer, I didn't really have much knowledge of the entrepreneurship world, the startup world. Like I would kind of just worked for established businesses. And and the idea of starting a business really never actually crossed my mind at that point. Um, And so they called me up and said about this accelerator program and I didn't even know what that was. So I'm on Google (laughs) now it's 3 PM on a Friday or something like that. And, and they said to me, the deadlines close the business to apply. And I've being been like, I don't even, I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't know what I'm applying for or, or what the hell going on. Honestly, this was a real story. And so this lovely, lovely guy from the Foundation for Young Australians, Matt Benetti, we're good friends to this day. He said, Ali, this is the chat, this is this is the process, this is the programme. And it sounded wonderful. I was going to meet 60 other entrepreneurs who were trying to tackle a social problem. Um, they were going to supply plates and workshops. And it was only a, a very small commitment in terms of what I would need time off work for. And, I saw, and then at the very end of the programme, there was a chance to pitch your idea for funding. And I remember at the time saying like, well, this sounds cool. I'll apply. I'll throw my hat in the ring. I got permission from my boss at the time to just work away on the application the rest of the afternoon. And it did take a couple of hours. Um, and I submitted. And at that point, I, I wasn't, I really wasn't sure what was going on. Um, I go an interview, and I remember going up to PwC for the first time. Now you've never been to their offices; they're very swish, very corporate, very lovely. Um, I remember travelling up in this lift, like eleven floors high, high skyscraper, high, high skyscraper in Melbourne. Um, walking past people in suits, going to this very formal meeting room. There's someone from Zurich <laughs> on the TV screen. I'm still a bit like bewildered <laughs> because this all happened really, really quickly. Um, and they start asking me about code like a girl. And why I started it, and I think one thing that you know has always been um, something that people tell me often is is the the passion for what I do, the authenticity is it's because I've experienced it. It's because I've 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 lived what it's like to be a girl in a computer science class, and I've lived what it's like to be a software engineer in a male dominated industry. So the passion I have for solving this problem. Is, is very, you know, it is real and it is inside me. And even at that early stage when I had zero business acumen, um, I think that really shone through and they accepted me into the program. And at that stage, I met lots of not for profits, social enterprise. I was actually exposed to this idea of a social enterprise. And what a social enterprise is, is pretty much like a business a startup and um, governance with a bit of a social or not-for-profit value. So you may create a commercial model that actually also solves a social problem. And the benefits of that model, which um, was kind of awesome to to hear about and meet people who had been through it and and started these things, is that you can build something scalable. You can build something self-sustainable. Because at that point, I realized that no one's really tackling this Straight on. No one is. No one's throwing funding at this. No one's dedicating full-time resources to this. What people are doing is initiatives. People are doing community groups or things that are are very grassroots or um, in small kind of doses or small areas of of the ecosystem. But nothing's going hard on this. And I felt there was an opportunity there. There was an opportunity to create a business to to work on. Um, a commercial model that was sustainable but also solved the problem. And as a developer, (laughs) you know, I'm a problem solver. That's
0: what what you do. There's there's coded, no pun intended inside of you, my friend.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And so I got pretty excited about this idea of of working on something that, you know, hasn't been solved yet, that is a global problem. Um, You know, not every country suffers from the gender imbalance that we see in Australia or the U.S., or a lot of westernized countries, you know, there's big gender gaps there. But when we look at Iran or India, um, their gender gap in terms of their education for computer science is is very equal, very balanced. Um, But when you look at the industry, they they also have issues in terms of women at work. And so that's a whole other issue for a whole other time. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I knew that it could be solved. And I knew that there was something like culture or... And biases or, or in stereotypes that were barriers in our society that could be lifted that could be changed and so there was a glimpse of hope that I felt as a creative entrepreneur coder <laughs> that maybe I could solve and so at that point I went all in I, I did my pitch at the end of that accelerator program and I actually won ten thousand um, dollars and this was the first amount of money and real money that the business saw. And so with that money, um, we set up the business. And so we did go for the governance structure of a for-profit with a social cause. And um, and so the idea would be that we could create a commercial, sustainable model that would then support this social vision, which was close the gender gap in technology. And so ever since then, we've been iterating, we've been learning, we've been creating products we've been creating services we've got corporate clients we've got public clients we've got parents we've got all sorts of different customers um, and we have you know we've really been through a lot of different revenue models um, and I think that's been very educational journey for me as a as transitioning into a developer to a CEO which is what I I call myself now and so I'm a full-time CEO for the business Um, I cannot remember. I go on tangents by the way. It's <laughs> so okay, we like all I'm, do. <laughs> I feel like I totally have forgotten what the original question was. Oh, when have we started to decide to move to a business. So um yeah, so that was 2017. That was February 2017, was the date that we registered as a business. And at that point I wanted to shift gears. I wanted to give up my, my engineer job and go full-time with this because we were in Sydney by that point, we were in Melbourne. And I could see that I I just needed some funding to be able to create some educational programs, some quality educational programs. And so um, that was kind of where it all sort of shifted gears, really, and and moved into that business realm.
0: And with that business realm, I mean, can you talk a little bit more, obviously, as a social enterprise, all right? Are you able to, like, I'm going to assume here, and it's never good to assume, but like, do you have investors or how do you stay financially viable? Is it grants, corporate sponsor, sponsorship, partners? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think lots of people are curious about that. In terms of our model, very early on, it was 100% sponsored by private tech companies. So there was no equity involved. It was it was basically like, you, you know, event sponsorship, mm-hmm. because that's really all we were doing at the very beginning. When we transitioned to do coding camps and um, that was a big step for us because that was that was a product um and it was a three-day camp and we wanted it to be scalable so we couldn't just do sponsorship and we didn't want to just give away this for free because from experience from talking to people you know there's a lot of effort that goes into to arranging something particularly for kids for three days, you know, you need teachers, you need working with children checks, you need child protection policies. Like, there's a lot of admin that to assume that you can do that all in volunteer time is not scalable. So that was kind of the first challenge of, okay, what are we working with? And how do we create a three-day curriculum that's fully staffed, that can be scaled everywhere? (laughs) Now, we've really, so we, we worked out a finance model. And that finance model meant that, that the corporate funding that we got could establish a really core team. And that core team is marketing, it's business development, it's a bit of social, and it's an education director. So we have a quite small team. And so our partnership funding, that the sponsorship funding, really sort of covers those overheads. And then the ticket price of the actual camp covers all of the facilitators. So we actually pay teachers to work with us during the school holidays And that was a really important turning point from going from just, you know, getting free labour and and being volunteer led. Um, And that was difficult when we were volunteer led because people get busy. People have their own careers and you lose those champions, those absolute passionate champions who come on board because they care about the the mission. But after two camps, they're tired, they've got jobs, they, they don't have the commitment that you need to kind of keep going and scale. So I really wanted to put in place structure. That meant that every single school holiday I could be scaling I could be delivering that this these camps would happen without you know without um yeah without people pulling out and so I'm so happy that we went down that route and I, I was a little bit apprehensive at start because I think because what we do is for kids what we do is closing the gender gap there's an assumption that you know these kind of things should all be done by free free labor you know people should be spending their their volunteer times but it's just not scalable and we've really proved that so now we're teaching about a thousand girls a year we're running camps in Canberra we're just about to launch in Adelaide we're doing them in Sydney we're doing them in Melbourne and now we're even doing them in regional areas so it's incredible that this finance model has allowed us to reach more kids to do even free camps in regional areas to create training for, for teachers so a lot of our teachers come on board and you know they're paid during the school holidays so they can work on their professional development so a lot of teachers get exposed to our curriculums which are very easy to pick up train up and deliver which gives them exposure to content that maybe the school system doesn't have access to it gives them a lot more confidence in delivering digital curriculums which is now within the school system so it it was kind of like a win-win ecosystem That was scalable and that's exactly what we wanted to to really achieve. Um, It also gave us budget to create really nice marketing assets to invest in curriculum development so we now have unique curriculums that all kind of have that marriage of creativity and technology so as an example you know our upcoming camp which is about to go online in a couple weeks is Head, knees, shoulders, code, <laughs>
0: and so it's fun. all about.
1: <laughs> and it's always fun. And it's all about med tech and how um, technology is used in enhancing like um, medical innovation. Our last camp was code your own adventure. We would focus on travel and and technologies and travel. We had um, into the wilderness, which was around big data and technology and conservation work and endangered species, like these kids just immerse themselves for three days in topics that they care about topics that ignite their passion and we show them how technology can be applied in these in these worlds in these industries these problems in a way that's never been done before and I think um, I, I really am proud of, of what we've managed to achieve with Code like a girl the kids get little patches each school holiday so you know we're seeing 30% return rate where kids just want to come back they want to meet their friends again and they want to learn more and we're, we're not just teaching block coding we're teaching actual like web development like the kids made a website of um you know their favorite animal who's endangered and and we're able to show that to their parents they're so proud of their achievements and the outcomes of the camp so without that funding model we would just never be able to achieve what we've been able to achieve just through sponsorship so very slowly, we've moved from 100% sponsorship to 50% sponsorship. And the rest of the funding comes from either ticket sales or through corporate and private clients, which we now do you know, in-house camps at big corporate um, businesses or those free regional camps, which usually have a, a big monetary sponsor who covers the whole program. So um, it's really da- it really has kind of shifted into not a fully self-sustainable model yet. I would say that you know sponsorship doesn't feel sustainable for us. It's it's um, it's really you feel like you're kind of always trying to get money and, and you're always kind of pitching about what work you're doing. But you know the reality is these companies only have a certain amount of budget and they disperse that budget between ish, big issues. So you know you're you're competing with budgets for like homelessness or um you know other sort of initiatives that companies really care about, which is so understandable. And um, so it's getting harder and harder to, to pitch for the funding we need, just based on you coding for girls. Um, and that's something I've always been really acutely aware of. Um, that I cannot build a business that relies on you know donations or sponsorship or, or grants because agendas shift. And I, and I do think, particularly with um, gender inequality and technology and the imbalances, people are starting to get diversity fatigue. You know, mm-hmm. businesses are starting to shift into different areas of diversity and the budgets are getting smaller. So um, I'm in a rush, you know, I'm in a race to, to build this business so that we will always be there for our girls. You know, even if the, the corporates don't back it, we were going to create something that is long lasting that will never give up on this issue. So that was really important to me.
0: You mentioned something there just a minute ago about that you're never going to give up on the issue. And I know when we were at the conference speaking together in Sydney, you had talked about a variety of different super powerful stats. And I can't remember all of them. But you did talk about like, gender gap, for example, And I just, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about so that the audience can understand some of these bigger issues that maybe they kind of maybe get like a five second spill on the news here and there. But really, The impact that I guess if you kind of scratch the surface that it actually has not only on women and girls, but collectively on our overall environment, our world moving forward. Are you able to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll maybe start with the stats and what we're seeing in terms of the issue. So there's two parts of the issue. There's a pipeline issue, which is the people entering the the technology industry, Um, and then there's a retention issue. So there's a lot of women leaving. the the industry midway through their careers now at this senior point they are very valuable to companies so we are losing magnificent assets to our economy to our workforce and by losing these women and so to put a stat towards that um we don't have any Australian figures on this but in America they have a stat of um and I'll need to just maybe you can check this for me Angela but it's 56 percent of women are leaving technology you know midway through their career and that's in comparison to 17 percent men wow um, yeah so it's, it's a really big difference and i can't comment on you know the exact reasons why but but here's my opinion here's what i think i think that you know women are obviously still socialized and, and obviously you know practical reasons maybe leaving to have family that could be one issue um yep. and the return to work pathway is not very appealing it's not maybe structured it's not supportive so a lot of these tech companies a lot of these startups because they are male-dominated don't have great benefits for women or haven't even thought about them so as an example some startups um, you know i've had people tell me that there was no bins in the bathroom yes um they they asked you know someone head up hey, by the way, there's no bins in the bathroom. And they've come around and said, yeah, there's one in the kitchen.
0: Oh, my gosh. Now, as of
1: women, like, instantly you're like, what? Are you serious? Um, no breast pumping rooms. We, we've we had women, you know, tell us that they were asked to go in the server room to express. Oh, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, you'd be quite surprised. And I think I think the good thing is, you know, we have progressed a lot. And it's, it's a real area that people have really stepped up. And really educated themselves better on it you know it's, it, it's almost like a, a a real crime nowadays to, to not address these issues and it should be because um it sends a message and I think that message you know is is really helping like make this problem worse um it's it's, it's sending a message that you know this is a, a world built for men by men I think that the development um career is 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 quite immature I think that Um, I would love to see the development career become a bit more structured and training in particular a bit more structured. When I compare, you know, what it's like to be a software developer as opposed to a doctor, you know, the the progression of your career is very set out. You know, if a doctor, you know, graduates, they start doing their residency, they have like a year one, a year two, and then they're sort of out in the world themselves. There's a lot of structure around that training process. With development, there is an expectation, and I think this is still the case, that you really should be upskilling in your own time. You know, when I worked as a developer, many of the projects, many of the languages and the frameworks I was given, I was hardly ever given time to train. Like, I was chucked on projects and I'm like, I've never used this language before. And, you know, the level of expectation about how much you learn and how much, you know, if you're passionate, you should find the time. But as women who have family, that is not a reali- that's not a reality. And so the work-life balance as a developer, I don't think is in place for women. Um, I really think it, it's a very hard um, career for them to maintain if they want to have a family. Now, not every woman wants to, but also see, people have lives outside their jobs. And um, I think there needs to be a bit of a culture change. Um, and my third reason... <laughs> God, there's so many reasons why I think women are leaving the the industry. Keep them coming. coming. Um, My third reason is I think there's a lot of bad behaviour and bad culture in the tech industry. And I think no matter if you're working in a female-dominated area or a male-dominated area, at the end of the day, (laughs) you need diversity because it breeds culture problems when it's just one group of one sort of set of people. Um, And I've seen that in, in many like who I've worked with um, get really quite aggressive or angry around bad code. You know, if you submit a mistake or, and I remember at times, and it's not every person, believe me, I've worked with absolutely beautiful, lovely, warm people, but there has been bad behavior that I've witnessed and nothing's happened because we have a shortage of technologists and a good developer is very hard to find. But the problem with that, is they think they're untouchable. They believe that, you know, that they're not going to get fired because they're such a crucial part of the business. And so a lot of this bad behavior doesn't get addressed like it would normally in an environment where you have an abundance of people. So I think some cultures, and I I think it really is, comes down to those tech teams. You know, you've got to be very deliberate about who you're hiring. Are they values aligned? It's not just about the code and how good they are. You know, you've got to be employing good people who can work with others? Who can mentor? Who can support? Um, particularly when you're putting a minority into that group. So, I've experienced it, and I'm pretty sure lots of other women in that position would have experienced it. And I think that um, I might, you know, I don't have a huge amount of experience in other other industries and other roles. So this could be just like something that a lot of people experience in their jobs. But with coding and with programming, there was at times where I was just like. I can't deal with this environment like it makes me feel uneasy unsafe I don't want to take risks I don't want to try things because the atmosphere isn't safe and so um, I think that's like maybe another reason why women are choosing to opt out of these careers is they're just bad environment after bad environment and they're just not finding the right fit. and um, so
0: that's my kind of take on it and i I can't back that up with too much other than my own anecdotes and own experience. Um, but I still think, I mean, there's something to be said. And again, I would also suspect regardless if uh, you're in that kind of tech, like you're talking about encoding side of things, like I think a lot of women still, you know, feel this particular push. I mean, mm-hmm. even in marketing, you know, the amount of speaking events that I go to and it is so male heavy and that's okay because I do believe, uh, well, i say that's okay. It's okay if the person that is speaking is delivering what is needed to make a good event. Does that make sense? Yeah. But there's a difference between when it's just the broness coming around, and I see it often, right? Where everyone, it's like they're not looking out to, to be able how do how can we incorporate women into this event? How can we take their expertise? Because we all bring different angles. Um, and so it, it is something that, again, I know I see specifically in the entrepreneurship space. Uh, you know, there's different speaking events that I've tried to, you know, speak speak. speak it or I have been able to speak it and I'm one of two girls and there's other you know eight or ten different males again I'm all about uh again if you if you meet the the job description for whatever it is you need to do and you're the better player hands out to you but I don't think that's always the case in a lot of places I think uh, it is you know there's a lot of times I'll walk into the room and you know like you said you're the only female in there yeah. There was a um, uh, amazing business coach over in the United States who kind of works with seven figure and eight figure co- um, eight figure businesses and entrepreneurs. based Allie Brown. She was just talking about actually the other day why she's just created her own I guess subgroup called the Trust specifically for those women in seven and eight figures because she was saying that when you go to an event. A lot of times, the women-led events that were going, where the women would stop going back to them because women were afraid to have these really rich and powerful conversations because, Mm. so they lacked self-esteem, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they would go to the male-dominant ones because the males were prepared to have those rich and juicy conversations that the women were craving and they needed in order to, do you mean, kind of excel their businesses? Mm. So Allie has made it kind of her; it's her bigger impact uh, part of the business that she's wanting to lead you know as a legacy for women in business to be able to have equal opportunity to have access to great enriched juicy networks that are women educated and enriched and isn't dominated by males she's only just released this in the last few weeks into the new year so it's been really great to see that she's kind of leading the way in this um because she too has seen a gap. There hasn't been a lot of data, of what she says. She's just uh, like observations and, you know, people reporting back. And she's like, well, how can we change this? Something's got to change. So um, I love, again, she's looking for a solution um, in this field. Because again, it's, I think it, it's an issue kind of anywhere and anywhere. And again, by you starting Code Like a Girl and empowering women at, and girls to be able to you know, build that confidence and step up into the world of coding, I think other people, you know, will start to get that in other fields also.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is excellent. I'll have to check it right? out. Allie, what was her second name? Uh, Allie Brown. All the
0: alleys, yeah, here, yeah. guys. And now look <laughs> at yeah, A L I. So not with the A L double I, but yeah, A L I. Yep. Yeah, so no, so she's fantastic, and it's called the Trust. And so I'm really eager and excited to see um, yeah, how this evolves yeah, over the next 24 because she's just starting her kind of first uh, beta round. Not beta round. That's not the right the word. Kind of the first round of this Pilots is happening now um, at time. Yes, yeah, so and no, so super excited for her. Now, in regards to empowering women and girls obviously you started off with empowering the females, you know, who were in the tech space and then you started to bring on the girls and, you know, can you talk to us a little bit more about the, the broad type of services that you're offering? Because again, before we press record on this, you're talking about some exciting things that are happening for you, mm-hmm. but has it, did you see a gap? And, and if so, when did that gap kind of start to appear where you're like, okay, we can't just do this for the, for the young ones. We need to also do this for the older ones too. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, I totally can. So it's been quite a journey.
1: Um, when we started, we actually did the opposite. We we actually tried to target everybody. You know, we were trying to solve this problem from all ends. And it, it, it obviously like led to some serious burnout. So we were doing really short intro classes with women, um, adult women. And they were usually like two hour to four hour classes. Um, and we were running them for probably the first year. Um, we were also, on the side of that, running junior education initiatives, so junior classes. Again, like really short bursts, like two-hour, four-hour, Saturday kind of classes. Um, and then what we decided to do was let us move the, the girl initiative, the, the junior initiative, to, to be a bit more extensive. Like two hours was just not enough. You know, these girls were getting excited about tech, but we couldn't really get our hands dirty and like really teach them how to make a website. You know, not you can't do that in two hours. Um so we decided to move the junior education to a 3D format. And that obviously took a lot more of our operational side of the business to, to make that happen. And what we found was that focus on junior education, it was absolutely tiresome to try and keep up the audience based on our, our finances, based on the revenue. So it felt like those first couple of years, everybody just everybody in the team was frazzled. We were just like trying to do everything, trying to be everything to everyone. because. The demand was there and the opportunities just kept coming. And And I guess it was definitely um, my immaturity as well as a business owner to be like, yes,
0: yes, yes, yes to everything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think we do that at the beginning though. Oh my
1: God, we get so excited, don't we? Um, but, it, but it hit it hard. It hits hard when, when we got to the end of 2017, 2018, I decided, um, oh no, actually, actually, sorry, the end of 2018, we were still doing a lot Covering a big audience from women to girls. In 2019, at the very beginning of that year, I said to the team, "We are going to stop this. Like, we are going to take away." You know, we did this exercise actually, the full team. I had pulled out all of our revenue stats, all of our numbers, and um, it was like this game of poker. (laughs) I, I created cards for each piece of revenue stream that came through the business. Now, Angela, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but there was 17 different ways we made money that year. Um, and and from a business perspective you know that's crazy that meant 17 different services of some sort that we offered that year and delivered and I said you know no wonder we are all burnt out no wonder we're tired no wonder we've got no money to show for the end of the year like everything's kind of just gone and we've not thought about it (laughs) yeah now that was obviously my job (laughs) but at the time you know it was such a new thing to, to be running a business so Um, we decided, no, let's really focus. Let's choose three out of these 17 things that we were doing. And so the three that came out, I got the whole team to vote and we created a little framework. And the framework looked at every single service and it questioned, what is the impact? What is the the revenue? And does it, can we make this self-sustainable? Is it scalable? So there was, and the last one is, you know, do we love it? Because there was things that we were doing that were, you know, ticking the revenue box to allow us to do other things, um, but we just didn't really enjoy. So we were doing a lot of corporate private things that we just felt wasn't as strongly mission aligned as we had hoped, but, you know, we're we're able to pay the staff. Um, So we cut down and we focused on three services and these ended up the internship program. So we have an internship program that places women into like entry level and software engineer roles and the idea is that they train up on the job rather than the classroom, um, and they don't need formal education. And it's a paid internship, so we've you know built these really strong relationships. You know, sold the dream that uh, well, I mean, it is the dream, but diversity is is the future. And you want to be that company that solves this problem first. Like you want to be the company that has a balanced workforce that just attracts more and more diversity because your products, your profit, you know the story will all be. Benefited from that. Um, So we've built these relationships and we've been able to place, um, I think we've placed over 37 women in the last two years into jobs. Amazing. I know, right? And 70% of them are actually staying in these coasted companies going into full time permanent software engineer roles. So it's been hugely impactful and and that was something that we we wanted to keep and we wanted to keep running. The second service that we honed in on and focused was obviously the coding camps. And they have, after 12 months um, of that focus, they have just really improved the quality of education, the curriculums, the the, the, the design that goes into them, the creativity, it's really paying off. And then the third thing was we all started the events. We couldn't give up the events. We we love bringing the community together. Um, So that was 2019. That that whole year of, of focusing on three products with three particular audiences and that was well actually two audiences um women and girls um and so 2020 um we're kind of ready now to get our hands dirty again and um, so i'm super excited to to see and angela you're probably the first person publicly <laughs> that i've I've told this to um and i'm such a so exciting. medium um that we're launching a tech school. So, we're actually getting the lease um, signed this week and, and moving into the premises next month. Um, but it's a beautiful classroom space that we'll be running adult short courses from. So the courses launch April 2020. We're running two pilots. So there'll be a fundamentals of software engineering and a fundamentals of web development. And these two courses that we'll be running um, will be available for women to sign up to. Uh, they'll be able to 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 do it in their own time. So we purposely developed what we think is a gap in the education market. Um, there is not a lot of flexible options, uh, accessible and price options for for coding education. You either go full hard at, uh, an immersive web bootcamp that will cost you an arm and a leg, or you sign up to like a university degree or a diploma. Um, but there was no sort of middle ground entry point. Um, so we've designed these short courses that can be done on a weeknight or a weekend. It's two and a half hours a week with some take-home homework. You do your, your micro, um, we call them sort of micro courses, micro courses and, and short courses. You do it over 10 weeks. Um, and by the end of that term, you'll have a really basic solid level of knowledge within software development and web development. But also on top of that, you have a huge community of women that you'll meet um, and you have access to to keep your learning going so we we really wanted to target this audience because the internship had been going so well but out of you know out of the average 50 applicants that we get a month we only put through 10 to the intern companies and 40 women each month you know kind of not doing anything with and, and they're not quite meeting the benchmark but there's nothing out there other than online education to offer them and we know that education is a social experience that peer respect and motivation helps us get you know past those big hurdles and so we wanted to create an education experience similarly to our coding camps just as effective just as creative um in an environment where women are absolutely going to thrive that they're going to enjoy the course they're going to get the support they need um at an accessible price point that's always been important to us like i don't want just more and more affluent people coding <laughs> yes. like the world has enough like white male privileged coders we need people from different backgrounds so um we've always been really sensible in our pricing with code like girl and that was something we believed was really important like self-sustainability is one thing but also not, you know, we're not this corporate money hungry company. We're we're just covering our costs and a little bit of investment goes into new initiatives and new ideas that we can get a bit creative with. So that's 2020. Big, big news for us.
0: Gosh, oh my goodness, but how exciting. But again, you're you've also like you've picked up on something that's not only going to leave an impact, but you found a gap, right? Is that you said 40 women every single month, you know, in the application process is getting Turned away, but have nowhere else to either upskill, uh, again build those relationships and connections, right? To potentially look for other opportunities. So you've really gone like it's it's impact, but from a whole different level too, right? Totally. So and through that, you're going to be able to build their self-esteem, their confidence, their, their you know obviously their skill set, and and from that, it's going to make a bigger impact onto the community. You're going to have more diversity, but then equally, you're you're creating uh, opportunities for women to have jobs and give back to themselves, their family, their community, etc. So I, I, I think sometimes people forget that it's a ripple effect in some of the things that are, are happening. And it's not just that kind of short-term solution. It's actually a, it's a bigger solution for long-term problems, right? So oh, that we've been facing collectively. So that, how amazing that the school is going to be starting, that you've got this beautiful space that you're going to be attending. But I also want to touch upon something that I think is super important for those business owners and other entrepreneurs out there that are listening is that the importance of more does not mean better. Yeah. more does not mean profitability all right. and I see a lot of women who come to me either in my group coaching program or my one-to-ones and they're like I've got 50 programs and none of them are doing really well or I've got this going and that going and that going and and so I too am I like hey, we've got to look at let's kind of ref- you know refine what's going on in your business and and working with a guy myself actually he's out of um Germany and I met him on my mastermind in the mail dives, but he talked about the importance of not just looking at the Profitability of each of your income streams But also the time that is taken to each of those individual income streams and that's a big component that people don't measure oh, And so one of, and one of the things I've been doing with my own clients is using a tool called toggle And I'm saying every time you do something we need to measure it and just track it It's a free tool and they're like holy shit I'm spending, you know, 10 hours a week on this particular income stream, but it's my income stream that brings in the least amount of money, I probably need to get rid of it and focus on where I am more profitable, where I'm making a bigger impact, etc. So I do love that you had that kind of epiphany when you're like, shit, we're doing 17 different income streams, we're frazzled, we can't keep that up. And that's a lot of the business owners that I work with and see and also those listeners who listen to this podcast, because they're trying to do everything. Really focus on, and that's what I did last year. 2019 for me was also a year. My word of the year was refine, and -hmm. I did not do anything new. I refined my group coaching, I refined my one to one, I refined the retreat. And it's only now, this year, that I'm now bringing on my mastermind because there was no point trying to bring anything else on when my processes and systems, etc., wasn't working, right? So, yeah, the importance of refining, and again, less can be more. Don't forget that. So,
1: and it takes such discipline. Like, the thing is. You know, you. Put, I remember putting the stake in the ground at the start of last year, and the team were apprehensive. Were so they're like, "Really, we're going to cut all this?" And I was like, "Yep." Yeah. And a few things slipped through the gap. A few things we said yes to, and we're like, "Oh, we just broke our promise." But you know, all in all, we 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 kept to it, and I, and I think it really paid off. And and yeah, I think you're you're on it, Angela. that's the best advice you can kind of give someone is just focus down, keep it simple, and do that thing really
0: well. You know, and track like, as I'm sure you know going as you get bigger, right? Uh, and I say this often, so p- people who've listened before will know is that I had uh, a mastermind mentor last year say to me, well, Ange, that's why you're a six figure business. And I'm an eight, almost an eight figure business. And I was like, damn, she did not just say this to me. Like, right?" I was like, no. Uh, but, but, but as I got thinking about it, though, is again, when you're starting to look at refining, you know, the one of the biggest things that I haven't done, or I do now, you know, since last year, re- even better is tracking. People don't Mm -hmm. track time, they don't track their money. So they might say, Oh yeah, I've got an accountant, but are you tracking it? So like I was working with a client just before I got on the call to record with you and She's like, yeah, she's like, I've got an accountant, but I don't know if I've got enough money to employ this and employ this. And then see, so like when we broke it down, we're like, actually, this is a bigger problem, right? Mm, totally. And she's like, oh, and then, so again, so all I can say too is, is the importance of not only refining, but tracking, tracking your dollars in, dollars out, understanding what income stream is doing really well and that time, I think it's crucial. Uh, and I think most of us don't get there till we kind of get a few years down the track, right? Yeah, like we don't I think it's important. <laughs> um, and I think that goes to, like I look at business as kind of three main stages as you've got the survival stage, mm-hmm. you've got the growth stage and you've got the scaling stage. And I don't think, again, we do, like I said, that tracking and that refining, whatever, till we hit kind of in between growth and scale and we kind of go, shit, something's got to change. So if you are out there and you're like, I've just got to make a dollar, I've got to do this. <laughs> it might not be important, but the thing is, is we're planting the seeds. So when you do get there, like it doesn't take you as long to realize that you need it. Totally. No, I can agree more. I think it took us to at least the second year
1: before we started forecasting and, and keeping that kind of 12-month um, forecast ahead of us and, and making sure that, you know, every expense, every uh, revenue stream was sort of well-documented and we had targets in place. So, you, you know, that way you, every month you kind of know, did I do good? Um, because <laughs> you, you know, if you're not measuring or you're not, you're not setting yourself with those kind of and, – and go big as well. Like what I've found is, you know – you give yourself a one million dollar revenue target, even though if you're only at the one, the hundred thousand mark, because you may not not reach that. But it's that typical saying of what is it? Reach for the noon or, or we reach for the stars and you'll hit the moon or something
0: <laughs> but I also think it's said that again but you you're not limiting yourself right mm-hmm. it's like you there's this bigger goal that is out there and more achievable and yeah no there's so there's so much growth from being able to but again like you said that you're setting those goals setting those strategies being clear on what you want is so so important but I'd like to know just a little bit before we um look at wrapping up is what have you found that was the biggest struggle you faced in starting code like a girl
1: Oh, it's quite easy, I think, for me to answer. I think, um, I think the biggest challenge is 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 not beating yourself up about your own weaknesses. Now, um, one of my biggest weaknesses is difficult conversations. Yeah, <laughs> I I really have never been a manager. I have never been responsible for anything, and then suddenly I am responsible for everything, and um, I've had moments where I have had team members let me down. I've had partners, you know, just really treat us badly. I've I've had these situations that I have been thrown into that, you know, whether, they, whether I could have avoided them, probably. <laughs> Every situation I'm like, I could have done that differently and avoided this. But I find myself, those are the most challenging times where, you know, you are so stressed out and this horrible thing has happened and you have to deal with it. And you have to have difficult conversations. Um, I've really found that the most challenging thing that I've I've faced in this business, and and the part that, um, you know, people often say like, you know, personal and business separate them, and I'm not really sure about that. Like, I don't think, I don't really get that. I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm and I I'm a, I really lead with my heart, and um, I really put everything into this business, both personally. Both, you know, I've I've sacrificed a lot, and I know that it's a short term, and I and I have that blind optimism that entrepreneurs do have, and and it's an optimism that you work hard today so that you can have a life that you know you can never dream of tomorrow. And you can, for me, it's about I genuinely believe, and this sounds crazy saying it out loud, but I believe that Cold a Girl could actually change, you know, the imbalance in in Australia alone. 100% 100% I believe that if we could get this business to a point where it is training 5,500 women year on year that we could actually close a gender gap and that's that is the way that you have to think and um, so it is hard when when bad stuff happens in the business when when people leave or you know I actually you know I've had sort of relationships break down and and people say to me, well, Ali, it's just business. And it's not, it, it's definitely not for me. And that's probably been the, the hardest emotional, um, mental challenge of of dealing with these kind of fallouts, dealing with these difficult conversations. Um, but you survive. And that is the coolest thing ever about it. Because each hurdle, each thing that hits you in the face or pulls out your heart, you survive. And you're so much stronger and you're so much wiser. And I definitely think I've aged like 10 years <laughs> in the last five years. Um, And I, I don't know whether I look that way. I not I'm
0: still not sure, but no, 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 you look I, fine. You're fine.
1: <laughs> but it's, there's no better education than living through something. Um, and particularly if that something is a bad something, you know, you, you really do change a lot and you really find out who you are. And I think that's an experience that I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap for anything. Like, as hard as it's been, as hard as it's got, the highest of highs, lowest of lows, I've grown so much. And that's all I could ask for. Like, I'm grateful that I'm here. I'm grateful that we're thriving. I'm grateful for the wonderful, beautiful team I have around me. Like, they are insanely wonderful and supportive. And and now I'm finding what it's like to work with good people and good partners who are super aligned. And, and it's easier. And it is getting slowly and slowly and slowly easier. And that just feeds the optimism even more. So I reckon that it's not for everybody, obviously, but the journey is a long one. You're, you're running a marathon. Um, 100% so, the
0: marathon. You keep yeah. on going, my friend. And what is the proudest moment since starting Code Like a Girl?
1: Oh, wow. I think I'm living the proudest moments at this point. Um, you know, opening this school is a five-year vision of mine. You know, opening a space that I can design and create, you know, something really special that no one had, in Australia, at least, has seen, that no women in Coding education has ever experienced, and that's what I really get off on. I love creating these wonderful educational experiences that leave such a positive and long-lasting impression that that genuinely changes people's perceptions, people's careers, people's um, self-confidence. Like being able to do that this year, and, and what lies ahead, and even seeing and reading the, the reviews of our coding camps from the parents and the kids. Um I'm really proud. Like this these last six months um have just been incredible. I'm 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 very excited about what's ahead and I I know that you know it's all the hard work of their amazing team that have got us where we are today, but I feel like this is our year and um I'm very, very proud to have got to this point and be able to do what i have been able to do this year. So um yeah, I think I'm I'm most proud of that.
0: Well, all I can say is, listen, it is an inspiration, like I said, hearing you and at our speaking event that we were at, it is an inspiration to watch you on your socials and your platforms. And I'm super, super excited to watch you hit this 2020 goal of opening up this school. I think there's a lot of people you're going to change in many, many ways that you probably don't even know. <laughs> but before we wrap up, how can people learn more about you or connect with you?
1: Excellent.
0: Great question. Um, So,
1: Absolutely go onto the website. So Code Like a Girl um, is codelikeagirl.com. You can read all about our internship program. Our short courses are coming online at the end of February. Um, If you want to know more about them or keep in the loop to sign up to our mailing list, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I usually post a lot of company updates via that. So, um, yeah, stay in touch and, and please reach out.
0: And my final question for you is what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? oh
1: that's a bloody great question no one knows what they're doing (laughs) like legit no one knows what they're doing and everybody's journey is so different like you there's you you gotta sometimes live through things like people will advise you people will consult people will um tell you not to do things or to do things and if you feel really strongly about it just do it and you will learn yourself like people have told me not to do things and I haven't. And then eventually I come around again and I just do it. And then I learn the real thing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why they told me not to do that. And I <laughs> genuinely think sometimes you won't listen until you try it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and um, that's the lesson. It's I don't I look at, I talk about often, I don't look at things as mistakes or failures. I look at those were the things, those were the lessons that were needed to get you to that next part of the journey. Totally.
1: And it builds your confidence. Like when when people, um, you know, try and, you know, uh, pick holes in my plans or um who who maybe like question my, my thinking you've got so much evidence you're like well I tried this and this happened and I did this and this happened so I'm connecting the dots and now I get dear and so there's this experience that you're like you know you become more confident in your decision making because you've lived through all the silly mistakes and the good thing is make the silly mistakes early like you don't want to be making them when it's serious money or serious um partners so um that's probably something that i would definitely encourage is like try all the crazy stuff really early when the states aren't doing high
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it isn't too high. Well, listen, I, before we sign off, my team and I, I just want to remind everyone that we will also be putting the whole transcription for this episode together at AngelaHenderson.com.au and we'll make sure that all of Allie's links are included in those show notes so that you guys are able to access her quite easily. And as I mentioned earlier on in the intro, if you have enjoyed this uh, episode, I'd love for you to share a takeaway or a tip. Don't forget to tag me at the at Angela Henderson, uh, consulting. And Allie, what is your guys' handle over on Instagram? It's called like a ghetto EU. Fantastic. So make sure you take both of us so we can share that. And again, as always, thank you so much, Allie, for being here today. It has been an amazing hour to spend with you, and I appreciate you putting that time out. And for the rest of you that are listening, I hope you have a fabulous day, no matter where you are in the world. And I look forward to you joining me next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Thanks again for everything, Allie. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Angela.